With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Did you ever warrant the arrest for the murder of William Lowe, who was the gas station attendant? But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice. A crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. everybody and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 7, Episode 26. And this week I continued my conversation with FBI profiler Jim Clementi. And uh, to be honest with you, I when I listened back to this, I enjoyed this conversation more than the previous one. I thought it was really cool to dig into the case and really get some kind of off-the-cuff remarks from Jim. And just his reactions were really interesting to me. But we are nearing the conclusion of season seven, and uh, I feel like, in, in my opinion, we've got a, a pretty good case built enough that you know we've gone kind of as far as we can go, at least on the air with it. Wanted to run it by Jim Clementi uh, before I turn it over to J- uh, Jamie's attorney, Tara Thompson. And as you heard in the episode, Jim is Jim feels pretty good about uh, the Jeffs as a suspect. All of you listeners have lots of questions for us, and I've got my. Right-hand man, Mike Bussing, right here to ask me those questions. I'm on it, man. And uh, half a voice of Zach Weaver on the other side of the table to answer them. Ahoy. <laughs> Zach's still battling his cold. Can't seem, to, can't seem to kick it. But with that being said, let's go ahead and get started. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, real quick, before we get into your listener questions, I did want to mention to you guys, we haven't touched base in a little while, about the Bob and Weave podcast. I just wanted to let you guys know there's a couple of episodes that I think our Truth and Justice audience might enjoy. And for any of you that have listened to the podcast Culpable, which was a, a wondery podcast covering the death of Christian Andriacchio, in last week's episode of Bob and Weave, we interviewed Christian's mother, Ray Andriacchio. Uh, that was a, a pretty cool episode, cool interview. So if you're looking for something to check out or you're interested in that case, Head on over to Bob and Weave and check out the Ray Andriacchio episode. And then this week, just dropped a couple of days ago, I know on our fan page we had several people that have mentioned and wanted to talk about the Netflix docuseries Don't F With Cats. And this week, Zach and I on Bob and Weave, it's episode 16, 
Uh, we broke down, kind of reviewed the docuseries and dug into some case details that weren't mentioned in the docuseries. So I think that those are a couple things that, that you guys may be interested in. With that being said, Mike, go ahead and get started with the questions. All right. Our first one comes from Summer. Did Wiley Holt specifically say his son told him about the robbery or did he just say, quote, his boy? If he just said his boy, could he have been referring to Jeff Durbin? No, he actually specifically said his son, John. So when so we know for a fact that's, that's what he was talking about. There's no question about that. All right. This next one's from Becky. Do you think it's possible that Pilo actually did see the perp leave, but froze and was too embarrassed to admit it? We talk about him being distracted or his line of sight being blocked for those few seconds, but maybe he was just scared. We all know what kind of man he turned out to be, so lying about seeing someone wouldn't be the worst thing he's done. I don't think so. I think that uh, they're very different things. Like what he, what he was doing with the raping of women and and covering that up, those behaviors don't fit with the behavior of someone that is afraid to confront somebody. You know, you, I would expect him to be more more than likely, if that was the case, to do to be overly aggressive or do something stupid. Because he's a, he's a narcissist, you know. Typically, a lot of times, these guys that are psychopaths, sociopaths, also tend to be narcissists and and really want to build themselves up. And 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 two things were just happening too fast. I mean, he was in cop mode. Even even though he's a bad guy, he's in cop mode. He's not planning some big conspiracy right there in the in the in the seconds as this was happening. I think that his instinctual response would have been if he saw someone fleeing to pursue that person immediately, not to. Because you think about what that means. It means, oh, there's the guy leaving. I'm going to ignore him, go to the door. And and even if he just didn't realize the guy was involved, but once he gets inside and realized Bill's been shot, to not radio out, hey, I just saw a guy leave, or and not report that to Williams or anybody else just seems really unlikely to me. Sandy says, have you been able to contact Mrs. Miller? No, I haven't I haven't yet, but that's something that, that we're still working on. And I, and I also do want to point out, do not, if you're listening, reach out to her or try to find a way to get with, to get in touch with her. I, I do appreciate very much all the work that uh, that you listeners do to help in crowdsourcing this, but this is just without getting into the details of why this is not a place to do that. Even for Mrs. Miller's own mental health, it, it's 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 not a thing to do. She does not need people bothering her or tracking her down. So please leave that. We we are working on it. So please, I, I'm going to ask you to please leave that one to us. All right. Fiona says, you haven't spoken much about the customer toilet or storeroom where they looked at for any forensics. I understand that a public toilet isn't a great place to get any evidence, and we don't know if they even went in there. But simply for thoroughness, I would have thought it should have been photographed and considered for evidence. I was wondering if the unsub had been hanging around the station and Bill called his friend's cousin while the unsub was in the toilet. I'm wondering if they could have hung around in there until they saw no customers coming, then went in to rob Bill. Uh, well, for the first part, I don't, I don't think they did do any forensic testing. I could be wrong about that, but I, I know we don't have any photos of the bathrooms. The employee bathroom was accessed from inside the store. So from the, the main part of the gas station, you'd go through the door into the storage room, and then in the back corner was the employee bathroom. But the customer bathroom, for someone to be lingering around, was only accessible from the outside. So you think about, the, think about any small gas station you've been to, you got to get a key from the clerk and then go around to the outside. So for starters, they didn't have a good view from there. They couldn't be doing surveillance from there because you literally could only see the the small part of the parking lot beside the building. You couldn't even see the gas pumps from in the bathroom. 
and you could only see anything from the bathroom if the door was open. So I don't think that's an area where any pre pre offense surveillance could have taken place. I gotta agree. Being that this bathroom is completely separate, it's too hard to get to. Plus, it's a gas station bathroom. Can't imagine it's super clean. Yeah, forensics probably wouldn't have been real helpful. Yeah, it would. They would have picked up so much other DNA mm-hmm. that it wouldn't have mattered. Right. All right. Jessica says, "Was there a door on the storage room? If so, did it open in or out?" Jim's question of the shots possibly happening in reverse order makes me wonder if the angle of the shot could be achieved by Bill leaning into the storage room to try to shut the door after the unsub ended up inside during a struggle. Then, after Bill falls, the unsub shoots again, basically straight down into his body as he steps over him to get out of the storage room. There was a door. It opened into the storage room. So the the idea of Bill leaning into the doorknob could put him into a position where that first, the first shot could have been the one that came from above. But I don't think the forensics about where he ended up are consistent with that. Because if, if, you're le- if the idea is he's leaning into the storage room and he gets shot from above and collapses there, and then the unsub shoots him on the ground, I would expect his, most of his body to be in the storeroom. Well, the other thing, too, is if he's shot and falls, and then the suspect shoots him while he's down, Bill ends up face down. Right. So that means Bill would have had to flip over right. after being shot. Yeah. Well, and, and and to be fair, he was he was on his partially on his side originally, okay. and kind of in the fetal position. So I mean, that you're right. That's a, it's a lot of movement and probably mm-hmm. not likely, but it's also not re- out of the realm of possibilities that in the you know the 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 convulsions that you go through when you're dying before you're completely immobile to get into that fetal position. Um, so he, it's I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he could have still rolled over and curled up a bit. But I don't. I do think it's unreasonable to think that he could have got up, turned his body completely, got out of the storage room, mm-hmm. and then ended up in that position. Not to say that he couldn't do that after he was shot, but if he was shot and say maybe he was going for the phone, which was right there by the storeroom door, and then collapsed, he could be in that position. I think that could happen. But if he's already on the ground, I don't think he's getting back up to stand up and mm-hmm. then walking and then collapsing again. And there's no indication that that happened with, with, with the, you know, there's no, we don't see any blood on the scene, you know, spread around there, which I know that is small calibers, not a lot of holes, but you know, your instinct I would think would be to, when you get shot in the chest to grasp at your chest, which would get blood on your hands. And then if you're stumbling and falling, you'd be bloody handprints on things. We don't see any of that, which is another reason why I think that Bill basically went down right where he was shot. And, you know, I'm sure he moved some, but I don't think he moved very far. And certainly I don't think that he flipped himself around 180 degrees. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Ron says, at what point did Bill begin to express or show concern? Did he say anything while Danny was still there visiting? Gutierrez said he was shaken or not acting like himself during his transaction, which was pushed back to 7 p.m. Could the casing of the store have been going on for some time before the burglary? Oh, I'm sure the casing was going on before the burglary or the the pre-offense surveillance. I I don't know exactly when, because what's weird with Danny is, and I'm curious to know what you think about this, Zach, if you're able to talk, but when Danny's there, he doesn't, Bill doesn't say anything about something being wrong. But when Danny's getting ready to leave, Bill seems nervous and tells him he doesn't want him to go. Both Danny and Dion noted that it was it was odd that Bill didn't want them to leave. So that would lead me to believe that he's already nervous about something, but not enough to just say what he's nervous about. So I, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what maybe it makes me wonder if maybe when Danny was leaving, if a if a car that he'd already seen a couple times showed up. You know, again, as they were getting ready to go or something. But yeah, I don't know exactly when it started, but it was when Danny left, which was somewhere between seven thirty and eight o'clock. He was he he didn't want Danny to leave. So and then shortly after that, he calls Michelle. So he's he's really nervous by that point. You know, maybe not to put this horribly, but like maybe Danny wasn't the the super on time type. Like maybe he wasn't like the best guy to come back. Uh-huh. So maybe he was more worried that Danny wouldn't come back to pick him up from work. It had nothing to and do had with. nothing to do with. That's that's possible too. I had a friend like that growing up. Uh-huh. It was always like, "You're coming back, right? Yeah, right. no, for real, you're coming back, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely definitely possible. It, but but what seems weird is though that according to Danny, that's the first time he's ever done that. And Dion, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's think- true, and it's a coincidence. I know you don't believe in coincidences, but. Yeah. It's just one of those things I think because I definitely had a friend like that growing up. Oh, I got a brother like that right now. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, they, but it, but literally every time there's something mm-hmm. like that come up like uh, listen, for real, for real. Yeah. You're going to show up, right? All right, Brian says, maybe you answered this before, but did they ever recover a 22 caliber gun from Jeff Miller when he was arrested for the other robberies and did he have modified bullets that were made like the ones that were found in Bill? Jim Clemente mentioned these guys weren't sophisticated when committing these crimes, so it's hard to believe they would have thought about modifying the bullets. So there were, and thank you to Ray Wilson, who passed along some paperwork for me and gave me some information about this after he saw this question on the fan page. So it seems like there was a gun that was recovered connected to the Jeffs during the mobile gas station armed robbery that occurred in August. But it, there, we don't have any clear indication of where, like if it was found on their person, if it was found in their house. We don't know where. I believe it was a twenty-two. However, apparently the 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 gun that was used to kill Bill was a unique type of gun. Uh, they were able to identify the 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 type of gun that it was, and from what Ray is saying, the gun the the twenty-two that was found or the gun that was found with the Durbin or with the Jeffs for that mobile mart robbery could not have been the gun that shot bill so they, they it seems like they you know their mo to use a 22 is their armed robbery gun but that the one that was recovered wasn't the one 
that shot Bill, and we also don't know exactly how the police came to get that into their possession. And playing both sides of the fence, a lot of people have 22s. Right. It's a cheap gun. Mm-hmm. A lot of criminals have 22s. Yeah. Because, again, cheap gun, cheap ammunition. I mean, the, you know, we, we've talked about the guns before, but the ammo also. You know, a, a box of home defense rounds for a forty caliber might cost you $30, $40, as opposed to, you know, a twenty two. you can buy a brick of 500 rounds for, I don't know, I haven't bought them in a long time, 10, 15 bucks. They're a little more now, but yeah, I mean, they used to be really cheap. Yeah. All right, Liz says, was thinking of this when you were talking about Wiley and him finding out too soon. Is it possible that Wiley or his son was listening to the police channel on the CB radio? There are handfuls of people who do that even to this day, and maybe taxi drivers do it more. Perhaps they knew to be listening for it to be called in, but maybe not. Well, first of all, it wouldn't be on a CB radio. It's a different band. Police don't speak. You know, They'll speak either on UHF or VHF, uh, which is, is a different band of frequencies that's not included on a CB radio. So what they would have had to had would have been either an actual UHF or VHF radio or more likely a police scanner. I don't know if in the early 90s, probably, if they, if they had scanners that you could put in your car, you know, that had like a cigarette lighter adapter to put them in. My dad was, used to be a fireman, and it was just you know, still to this day, sitting on his coffee table in his living room, he has a scanner, and he listens to everything that's going on around town all the time. Now, I asked this question a couple of weeks ago, and you actually answered the fact that in the call, there wasn't, they didn't say there was anybody shot. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So th- th- that. But eventually, they they must have. Yeah. But at what? I mean, that that would still be a while. Yeah. Yeah. The best you get out of it was there was an incident. Yeah. Yeah. There was an incident, and uh, we might need rescue. It's hard to hear. Mm-hmm. Um. But but even the other thing with the scanner is, it's I don't know. I, I guess I can't speak specifically to Illinois, but I, in most states, for sure, in Michigan, it's illegal to have a scanner in your vehicle. You're not allowed to do that. Which doesn't mean, obviously, you're talking about people robbing and murdering with someone. Who cares if you have a scanner on top of it? But if that's how he found out, that's just, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it makes it would still make sense for if, if it was a diversionary tactic to go into the station and, tr- and try to divert them to you know look for the black guy in the brown car. But I don't know. Mostly for what I said last week, which is, or whenever we discussed that, that I don't, I don't think there was enough information on the scanner anyway to let them fully know what happened, just that there was some kind of incident there. And it couldn't have been over a CB radio. I, I guess that they might have had VHF radios, but you're also not allowed to program. See, the way these radios work, especially in the early 90s, you had – this is complicated stuff that I'm going to stop talking about here in just a second because it's probably boring everyone. But it, later on, you had radios that you could program in frequencies. But prior to that, you had to get, like, crystals. And even programming them in, you couldn't program yourself. You had to take them to a radio shop. When I was a fireman, you know, the radio that I carried in my fire gear, I you had to take it into the radio company that we bought them from to have them program in the frequencies that you would need to speak on, you know, the fire ground channels or hear the police channels and things like that. So it's not like, and and they wouldn't do it. You you couldn't you couldn't program police channels into one of those radios without having the permission of police. So, did you say crystals? I did say crystals. Sounds like voodoo. It is. It, it is. And, and to be honest with you, I don't know. what The reason I kind of hesitate to say is because I don't know what it means exactly. That's just the old timers when I got mm-hmm. on always talked about the crystals they had to put into these radios to program them. So I don't know exactly what that means. 
Jude says, in any other robberies, was the cash drawer taken? Not that we know of, but but that doesn't mean that that wasn't the case. So we, we don't have all the full details of the other three armed robberies that, that the Jeffs committed. We don't have all the details or very little details on all of the other armed robberies that were going on in Bloomington through that year. Ray said that from from the information he has, and he's foiled a lot of information on all of these, but from the information he has, he hasn't seen where anyone took the cash drawer. So that's, that's all we know. We, we can't say yes, but we really also can't say no. All right. Ashley says, do you think that Wiley's cab company could have been involved in a larger way with the string of robberies? As in Wiley being more aware and possibly behind the use of his cabs to commit crimes. If Jeff is altering his logbooks to show he was in another area of town, you'd think his fares that he's reporting wouldn't match up, and Wiley would question why and where the money for those non-existent rides was, unless he was in on it. That's a good point. Maybe I'm naive, but I still don't think that Wiley was, quote, in on it, meaning that he was like in, you know, a, a part of it and was encouraging it or, or anything like that. I think that the more likely scenario is that Durbin was doing this with his cab and Wiley, because of the reasons that were just noted there, plus the fact that it sounds like he could never shut up about what he was doing, that Wiley knew about it and was probably telling him to knock it off, but he's family and he's close and he's got this new business. And I I, th- I think that it's more likely that Jeff was doing it. Wiley was aware of it and was not part of it, but wasn't getting rid of him. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Nina says, can you clarify Wiley Holt's statement again and the time he provided compared to the actual timeline? Also, she says, if any person that intends to perform first aid or check on Bill behind that counter is a bit bulkier and Bill's laying with his head pointing southwest, would they lack space to help him properly? Well, I'll answer the second part first. And, and it, it would be tough to work in that space, but it would be just as tough to work in the space where he ended up. You know, I mean, so, so if you're going to, so if the, if the body's in that tight space between the counter and the wall and we're within the door into the storage room, if I couldn't work properly in that space to perform CPR or put leads on them to run an EKG or whatever, and if I'm, I decide to move the body, what I'm going to do is move it out to a more open area. I'm not going to, it would be almost more difficult. It would be more difficult to move, to flip the body, you know, instead of just dragging him to like, take, imagine that taking the feet and twisting him in the head and turning him around. Cause you're also, it's a traumatic incident. So you're trying to maintain cervical spine protection. You don't want to twist and manipulate the body. You don't know exactly what all the injuries are. So there's just no way they would twist him to begin with like that. And secondly, it was pointless to take him. So he's in the exact same space, but the other direction isn't helping the the scenario at all. Uh, as far as Wiley Holt's timeline, he was in the store at 7.53. He says that you know he hung out, maybe ate a candy bar before he left. He had enough time to get to the, the bus station and maybe get an orange soda. And shortly thereafter, his son, John Holt, told him about the, about the shooting at the Clark station. 
So, I mean, that puts us, we've estimated anywhere from 8.15 to 8.30. Obviously, the shooting didn't occur till, in my opinion, 8.20. So, somewhere right in that range, which is too soon. It, but the other pieces of his timeline is that I forgot to mention to Jim, and Richard Plunkett, one of our listeners, mentioned on the fan page, and he was right. I should have mentioned to Jim that Wiley originally told police that he was at the station at 8.15, which could be innocuous, could be just that he got his times mixed up, perfectly understandable. You're not really looking at your watch but also just happens to be right at the time when the silent alarm's getting pressed. So, you know, basically tells them, I was there right before it happened, and I saw a car, a, a, a brown car with a black guy in it that was just hanging around the station, oddly. But on that note, as far as with Jim, that should have been mentioned to Jim, but as you heard, I don't think Jim needed a whole lot more to feel like the Jeffs were, are, are the best suspects in this case. All right, Donna says, obviously there were other robberies before Bill's murder, as he himself expressed that he had some knowledge about them. Could these robberies be at all attributed to the Jeffs, making Bill's incident not their first holdup? Oh, I'm certain, certain that at least Jeff Durbin, probably both Jeffs were committing armed robberies with the taxi cab prior to Bill's death. I mean, we have the string of armed robberies. Like I've said before, they got caught for these three armed robberies in August. But remember our tipster, and also remember every single thing our tipster has told us has checked out, has been vetted, and is accurate. And our tipster told us it was that spring and before Bill was killed that Durbin was bragging that he was using the taxi cab as a getaway driver for these armed robberies. So I'm certain that that he was doing this probably as soon from the time that the you know the cab company started. I think he he saw that as a great getaway getaway vehicle, and he started doing it probably in February, leading all the way up to Bill's death and then continuing through the summer until they finally got caught at the end of the summer. All right, Nicole says, is Wiley Holt's son still alive? Can he corroborate how his dad found out about the murder so fast? At this point, I can't imagine he would have anything to lose by telling people if his dad might have been trying to misdirect for the sake of his business. Uh, his son is still alive. Uh, I have not spoken to him, but I, there are some listeners we have from the Bloomington area that are that, that know. Some of the holds, I think one of them even knows John or one of his other brothers, at least. And in, in, in people have, have reached out kind of on my behalf to ask some of these questions. And so far, all we've gotten is I have no idea. I don't remember. All right. Our last question comes from Carl. With all this info coming in, what is the hope of Jamie getting a new trial? Well, that's a great question. And I think that that is a question that is best answered by Jamie Snow's attorney with the Exoneration Project, Tara Thompson who will be the feature of our episode this Sunday is a 30-minute interview with Tara Thompson where she's going to explain where she's at with the case and what we can expect in the future. So make sure you tune in on Sunday for that. Also, before we close things out, I want to uh, just give you guys a little bit of housekeeping, what's going on right now. Um, first of all, this episode is a little shorter, you might notice. Mostly that's because Zach can't talk. Mm, sorry, guys. <laughs> and also... Uh, we are, Zach and I are on vacation next week. And so we're going to be out of the country actually. So we're having to kind of do double duty this week. So Sunday's episode's a little shorter too, because we're trying to get four episodes done at once. And lastly, I want to let you know there, the follow-up for this Sunday's episode. So next Friday, a week from now, that follow-up is not going to be a Q and A with you guys asking questions to me and Zach, because we're going to be out of the country. Rather, the day you're hearing this on Friday, and we will have, hopefully, if you're on social media, you'll have seen the post we put up, but we're asking listeners to submit questions for me to ask directly to Jamie Snow. 
So next week's follow-up will be a Q&A session with listener questions to Jamie. That'll be next week. And the next Sunday's episode will be the season finale of Season 7. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. A big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fan page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Not Bob and Weave, which is what I was about to say. Start over.